the 997 sequel Jurassic Park one at a time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And today we're back to discuss Minute 101 of The Lost World. Welcome to Jurassic Park 101. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we've tried to achieve over the thing, is sort of your 101 <laughs> The Lost World. Tried to uh, tell you everything about the film, both on screen and yeah. off screen, so... Mm-hmm. They're headed in a port, but I can't raise them. Try again. Skipper SS Venture, this is Engine Harbor Master. Do you copy? Over. Skipper SS Venture, you are approaching the breakwater at flank speed. Reduce at once. Over. All right, due to a couple of time restraints, we're uh, going to get straight into the minutes this week. Um, we're not going to talk about news until next week, but uh, shortest episodes yet. Dave, ready to get into 101? Sure. As we the minute 100 of Lost World, the SS Venture had appeared through the fog as Anne and Sarah had turned and ran along with the rest of the crowd. As we open on minute 101, the crowd continues to run towards the front gate of the Indian waterfront complex. At the four second mark, the ship impacts the dock, obliterating the office, sending timber and debris flying in all directions. At the 10 second mark, the ship continues to cut its way through the dock, tipping a limo as scared VIPs run. At the 15 second mark, after the bow of the ship knocks over the captured cage intended for the Trenosaur, it stops. Ian and Sarah get up and start to follow Ludlow towards the ship. At the 38 second mark, Ludlow and a security guard emerge on the deck of the ship, looking around for the crew. The guard and Lolo quickly make their way towards the ship's bridge and are disgusted by the sight they see there. Bloodlo asks, where's the crew? And the guard replies, all over the place. And this ends minute 101 of The Lost World. As we opened last week, we've seen this adventure approaching the dock very quickly and Sarah turned to run. And uh, as I said in that minute, it's just weird to see a couple of men in suits here look at them as they're starting to run away and just looking at them weirdly like, why are you running? <laughs> But um, as we move through the crowd, there's some workers at the back of the main crowd that are sort of turning and running as well, because they were watching and seeing the ship approach. But uh, we did see in that last minute, they were all just staring out the ocean as the uh, sound was getting louder, so they all should have known what was coming and reacted at the same time. But Yeah, exactly. We cut to a low-down shot looking through the truck and trailer and with the cage on the back that's parked on the dock as the ship impacts, sort of... It's a little bit of a cheat showing the model hitting, or not showing the model hitting clearly, sort of hindered behind the uh, the truck. As we said, as we said previous minutes, this is all miniatures. We got some photos we can post up in the group yep. for the episode two of just how they done it. And uh, yeah, the office building just explodes like matchsticks. <laughs> but, um, and then we cut higher up as the ship continues. Oh, well, yeah, we cut higher up as the ship continues and. Um, through the office and further ahead, we did know we did see before Ludlow escaped that there was a good eight to twelve people, eight to ten people inside that building. Uh, we never seen anyone come mm-hmm. out after Ludlow. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of it's sort of weird here. We'll get a bit of a GI Joe theme later on where we see everyone sort of start to emerge from debris and that. It's like okay, everyone survived, but I don't think anyone in that building did. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we see. And I think it's interesting how on the miniature as the 
miniature pulls up, you can actually see a tiny speck of wood. But it is a pretty good-sized miniature. I mean, the whole ship itself is probably about eight or nine feet long. Yeah, yeah, it's a massive miniature. And I'm, I've seen photos, of, I don't know if it's the actual miniature afterwards, but it ended up in the Amity, in the Amity set area from Universal, didn't it? Where the Jaws stuff yeah. is, it was in that little lagoon there with the... Oh, I can't remember the name of the boat in Jaws now, but in, in the, with that... Okay. Yeah, the Orca, that's the one, yeah. But it was yeah. with that at Universal yeah. for a long time before, I'm guessing it just, as props do, got into disrepair, it probably sunk, and they probably had to retrieve it, and it got pulled apart, probably, but... Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't think it's made, it's probably just made of plastic or something. Well, yeah, it's sort of how it um, has to break through the timber, whether that's balsa wood or mm-hmm. because it's got to look like it's going for a real a real structure so yeah, it does. especially when we get that high up shot and one of the side shots here where we see VIPs fleeing and a limo gets overturned it's sort of interacting or mainly it's probably just CG but it's interacting with the miniature it is and speaking of which I do like how um, when you get this close up shot of the bow as it's uh, finally coming to a stop you can see planks uh, small planks of wood um, kind of just that had gotten tossed up onto the front of the bow. You can see it through the um, front hole there. Yeah. I'm not really sure what those would call them, not porthole, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, it it does add like a nice touch of realism because it's this wonderful miniature that looks that blends seamlessly in with the real uh, ship that was called the American Salvador. Yep. I mentioned that early in one of the earlier minutes, but I just refreshing. Yeah, because it's from memory. The only other miniature work they'd done in the franchise was the uh, the plane crash in Jurassic Park Three. Well, the uh, Jurassic Park San Diego, the oh, overhead yeah. shot of the yeah of it, uh, Malcolm's car go entering the place was also yeah. a miniature. We'll talk about yeah. that minute. We have yeah. That. Well, that's the thing. We call them a miniature when, <laughs> like, even that thing was big. I remember a guy standing beside it working on oh, it it's up to his chest. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of um, reminds me of the miniatures that uh, Peter Jackson used mm. on Lord yeah. of the Rings, and some of those were just. I mean, how do you call them miniatures when they're bigger than you yeah. are? <laughs> but then that's. Uh, but then that's the other thing too. Like they're designed and built to uh, to be cheaper than um, either doing a CG layout or whatever else. But mm-hmm. just some of the work that went into some of those sets, like um, Isengard and that, like you just <laughs> you've got to wonder. The Tower of Barad-dur, mm. um was massive. It was I want to say like nine feet tall, and it was just that um, like. Uh, Peter Jackson would go and take the camera and just close up, just slowly, um, like for that one shot, I think from Fellowship of the Ring, where we get the camera pan up all the way up to the CGI Eye of Sauron. It was just the camera slowly, um, slowly going up the, like it was like a nine or ten foot miniature, and it was, and then they just sped up the yeah. film. Make it look like the tower was speeding up to um, the Great Eye of Sauron. But Minas Tirith, too, I mean, that was massive. Uh, it was, I want to say, like 12 feet yeah. across. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. 
And I'm pretty sure all they, they're all kept that he's got them in his museum bunker, man cave, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> down there. Actually, he has a couple of Jurassic Park items in his collection. I've, reached, I've seen a gallery of his collection, and it's just beautiful history worth of um, everything, of like all kinds of movie memorabilia. And I'm glad that it's in his hands. Because I know that Peter Jackson would just appreciate that more than some some random guy who would be like, yeah, I got a piece of Jurassic Park history. Want to see? <laughs> it's locked you know? on his door. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, like something that entertains other businessmen and just something he's not really even a fan of. It's just something he could afford to buy. Like, Well, it's more, um, like, it's more like a trophy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But then that's... Like, oh, uh, have, you seen, have you seen the movie Ted? Oh, not for a while. Oh, well, you know where um, Mark Wahlberg goes into uh, his girlfriend's boss's <laughs> house, and he's got that memorabilia there that he really doesn't even yeah, care yeah. for? Imagine the half these props yeah. I ended up with. Mm. You know? Just rich, just rich jerks who have no passion for what they're actually collecting. Yeah. Yeah. They do it because they can, they can afford it. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Sort of the miniatures yeah. miniatures were pioneered back with Star Wars and the seventies with um, all those sort of space films and that where they used all the miniatures and it was sort of sad in uh, I think it was ninety nine with Starship Troopers that was the last time they used miniatures or full size miniatures on set until Lord of the Rings come around um, and sort of mm-hmm. brought it back in, but it still hasn't been a a massively used technique for doing filming, unfortunately. Remember, there's nothing more than grown adults playing with yeah, toys. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I remind my parents when I say I'm I go I'm going off to the woods with a pack of full of dinosaur toys and a digital camera and I just tell them and they say, Have fun playing with your toys. I say it's not toys, it's doing dioramas. It's it's remember, it's not playing if a camera's yeah, involved. Yeah. Is what I tell them. <laughs> <laughs> like one of my favourite uses of it would be um, James Cameron's Aliens. Just all the all the ships in that are all miniatures. Yeah. Even the um, or even the first Alien, the ship that touches down on um, LV four two six. That whole miniature, I remember yeah. seeing that turned up somewhere. It was in someone's driveway. It was like the size of a car with a tarp over it, and someone. <laughs> I don't know if it was ILM or someone got their hands on it at an auction or someone brought it and then they've approached them and said, here, can you restore this and got it back to its um, near original state. But Yeah, um, I remember that the uh, some of the miniatures for Independence Day oh, were yeah. massive. Like the, uh, the, not the mothership, but the uh, saucer ships, the ones that blew up the cities, were um, like... 10 feet across, if not bigger, and they filmed it in a swimming pool with clouds of food coloring yeah. uh, imitating the storms. Well, that's, yeah, and you you sort of look at any, distart, uh, air quotes, disaster porn now where cities are being destroyed and it's all CG and all that, but sort of going back to that original Independence Day, um, they had just large sections of city miniatures on their side up against a wall and lit the fire at the bottom and just had the fire rolling up, up through mm-hmm. and a and through the buildings to make it look like those ships had just fired their weapons, so... Yeah, they literally blew up like a 
giant version of the or not a giant miniature yeah a giant miniature of the yeah, White House and even that that was one take they had one chance to film that right yeah, yeah. and um luckily and they did it beautifully yeah because yeah. so. <laughs> even even that you have a miniature that large and have to have it explode um mm-hmm. explode the way you want it to and not just look like there's a firecracker inside it <laughs> there would have been yeah. it would have been a very stressful day on set but mm-hmm. Well, aliens, aliens was like that as well because, um, like the in the first movie when the chestbuster came out, that was uh, all the first shot because Ridley Scott got all real reactions. <laughs> None of the cast what was going, what the hell was going to come out of this guy. That was a great story to hear. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> it? And then of course the second happened with and with James Cameron when he um, torched the chestbuster with the flamethrower. They had one shot at yep. it. And so he just created that one rod puppet and burned it one time. <laughs> oh, I hope for the best. <laughs> but um, back to the minute at hand, <laughs> after that little trip down memory lane, um, the bow to ship impacts... Oh, yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> um, the bow to ship <laughs> impacts that, uh, that trailer and cage we've seen earlier and sort of overturns it and pushes it to the side and rolls the truck onto its side as well as it comes to a stop and we get pipes and debris banging and clanging as stuff landing back on the ground and a bit of a shaky cam shaky cam here with just Sarah and crew starting mm-hmm. to sit up as the camera's just shaking weirdly. I think it's supposed to be imitating the ship's motors stalling out as um as they vibrate against the dock. No. Well, yeah, you gotta you gotta think. Okay, is it ran aground here? Or is it just impacted enough and slowed itself down to stop? Um, or is the back of the ship in the mud and the the propellers are fouled up, and that's sort of stalled the engines mm-hmm. out? But um, it's probably a good thing it did stop here and it was only doing twenty six miles and not twenty seven or twenty eight. Because if it come another um, a couple of meters, like everyone's getting up, they're only meters from that rolled over cage <laughs> very oh. close they didn't get very far in the time it took to uh to escape but um but uh, that's that's the miniature done and we sort of we'll get some photos up so you can have a look at uh, how they done that and we've talked at end about it so i won't go on any further about that um Ludlow's the first to stand and starts starts running back towards the ship and uh the security guard sort of meets him on that little bridge again and asks him if he's okay. And he's like, I don't know, how do I look? Which, I think he doesn't... It's just such a... It's such a Ludlow thing, he'd say, yeah. you know? I don't know, how's my hair? <laughs> my hair okay? Yep. Like, you see me with me two arms, don't you? Well, I'm fine. <laughs> but we also, um... We see other security guards on site sort of helping, um, asking if people are okay and helping people to their feet. Um, with VIPs and that and we see one helping someone out of that overturned limo and as I said earlier it's just it's like G.I. Joe where oh yeah there's always a parachute when someone gets thrown out of a plane or it just sort of just showing that everyone's okay when of course (laughs) there's good eight or nine people dead from that office but um Ian and Sarah sort of get up and they start running through the debris as well as um, the security guy and Ludlow begin to climb up that section of roof that's leaning on the side of the venture. And um, the guard and Ludlow step up onto the ship with a worried look on their faces. Now, I don't know... I don't know where to go at this. Um, 
it's I just found interesting these security guards have got badges on, like police badges on their chest. Is that a common security guard thing over there? In America, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. So it's very common, especially for like private security forces and even private police forces to be almost paramilitary in okay. nature. No, that makes sense. <laughs> That's all right, because over here, over here, most security guards, and I'll probably get in trouble for this. So just, you know, America love it, loves its paramilitary. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and its military, and its militias, and its gun nuts. Yeah. But we won't get into that. No, no. <laughs> no. That's that's exactly right. Um, yeah, they step up on the ship, and we get a wider cut back as they sort of start walking onto the ship, revealing that Trenosaur cage, enclosure, structure, um, the whole front of it. It looks like it's been busted, yeah, yep. doesn't it? Yeah, well, the whole front of it's torn open, so, and there's bits and debris laying on the yeah. ship deck. So, yeah, I think that the, I think what, I, people think, oh, the Tyrannosaurus should shut the door behind himself <laughs> when he uh, went down there, but I honestly think that T-Rex broke out, ate, ate a bunch of people, they tried luring it back, uh, people tried getting into the cargo hold, to get away from it, T-Rex followed them, and the guy on the bridge managed to get the thing closed before it, before he Succumbed died. Succumbed to his wounds or injury. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll say it. We'll say at the end. There's there's still that hand on the wheel that's an issue, but um, but maybe we can come back with Nick when we get there. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, a lot of people like to th- uh, theorize that Raptors got on there and tore them apart. And then somehow magically disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's but, that, um, we can discuss that more in the next minute because in the um oh no we will talk about this minute in the shooting script. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we'll talk sure. about that in a minute when we get yeah. to the shooting script because there's a couple of things described yeah, in there that, is, that sort of lean more to something other than a trinosaur causing damage. But which is interesting because David Coat, who wrote the script, said it was only ever the trinosaur. The T Rex was the only thing that was ever envisioned to be on the boat yeah but yeah um the i blame i partially blame the end of chaos the Jurassic park chaos island uh video game where we see raptors kind of uh, lurking outside the ss venture dock. ah okay so i think that's partially where that comes yeah, from I was, yeah i was wondering what sort of started that because um i think as we talked earlier there was that script there was a um like fan fiction going around with that Jurassic Park three raptors in the city and sort of implying that this was all caused by that. And we have a bit of a similar situation here as what we do in Jurassic Park three with the parasailing attack where people seemingly disappear and if it was the animal that it was suggested there would have been a lot more damage. Um, I.e. that mm-hmm. Tyrannosaurus head trying to get in and chomp someone and their hand still staying on the steering wheel of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> Without without breaking a window or anything, or even getting up onto that flybridge. David Cap never uh, said that it was a well-written scene. No, no, <laughs> no. He only admitted he yeah. wrote it. He never said he wrote it well. Uh, no, that's it. But um, it's sort of interesting as they walk on the deck. We get sort of the structure the Trinosaur was kept in. Sort of we know it was airlifted onto the boat, and it was just sat here. It's weird it wasn't put mm-hmm. in the hold, where it just seemed to stay on the dock, on the deck for the entire trip. 
it is weird because if you look um, in the behind behind everybody coming onto the boat in this scene, you can see the ship's crane uh, right next to the cargo yeah. hold right yep. there. Yeah. And then I suppose okay, so they're planning on coming into San Diego. Well, Ludlow says it's early, so I wonder how early it actually is. If it had to do maneuvers out out offshore and then slow. It would have come into the harbour or in the dock a lot slower, so maybe that would have added an hour or so to the travel time. But um, yes. Well, also ships uh, ships of that size docking anywhere take some time in themselves. Yeah. You know? yeah. No, I'm just wondering if you'd have but... some eager eager person with a camera as the ship's coming in um, or passing another cruise ship or something like that, where here's this Tyrannosaurus Rex in a cage on <laughs> on the deck in plain sight of. <laughs> But again, as I said, like they've come in in the cover of darkness here, so and early, early in the yeah, morning, so yeah. And there's, of course, not very many people out that late at yeah, night. Yeah. You know, I'm sure this would have been a busy shipping lane in the middle of the day, and it would have made it even more dangerous and possibly spooked the Tyrannosaurus as they were loading him into the um, truck there. I mean, can you imagine the people would? I mean, because in San Diego, it's a tourist mm-hmm. home. That's the whole reason of building Jonas Park San Diego there in the first yep. place. So, imagine the number of people with disposable cameras walking around San Diego. Because that was a really big thing yeah. back then, in the 80s and the 90s. Yep. And just snapping pictures of a, t- of, a, of a live T-Rex in a cage, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, and as, as you said before, for getting spooked, like, you just imagine the air traffic and that. Because um, I know our local SeaWorld here actually has helicopter flights that take off just as a sightseeing thing that sort of looks around the, the city, the, the park's in, and not necessarily the park, mm-hmm. it's not that large, but if you've got helicopters coming and going and, and all that, all that noise is going to spook, presumably spook the mail. But, yeah. But we um, we pull back here as the guard starts to run up the staircase and uh, climbs up towards the ship's bridge, and Hudlow's, Hudlow, Ludlow's following close behind, and um, the guard gets to the bridge and looks in through the door and starts to breathe deeply with his mouth open and says, oh my god. <laughs> and uh, Dudley comes up behind him and asks, where's yeah. the crew? He's trying to... <laughs> The security guard is trying not to puke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he does a better job than what we see Ludlow in the next minute, but um, as, uh, as the minute ends, the, um, the guard starts to move towards the uh, ship's wheel and replies all over the place. <laughs> Which, uh, again, makes you raise some questions. But um, I'll just quickly do this short bit of the shooting script um, before we get back to that. Uh, last week, we've seen the ship approaching after it crashed through a small vessel. Um, Ian's, Ian Ludlow and Sarah and the harbour master all spilled out of the shack to take cover wherever they best they could. Um, and out in the water, you get to see a, the ship sort of passes a no-wake buoy and drowns it. So that sounds like a little Spielberg thing of the ship doing exactly what the sign says not to. Um, we see it later on when the Tyrannosaur is entering the uh, custom or quarantine area where it smashes its head yeah. through a sign saying no animals. <laughs> um, but then it, uh, it cuts through a large yacht that's anchored offshore and cuts it in half and it sinks, which, uh, oops. <laughs> and it uh, impacts the dock and we um, the, ship cut, uh, the ship cups it cuts into the dock, and uh, as it's sort of slicing it in half, it uh, hits a transformer and knocks all the power out to the harbour area, and uh, the whole area is only lit up by the ship's lights now. Which, 
doesn't happen in the um, final movie, actually. You can still see the spotlights are still lit up everywhere. Yeah, and there's some weird reflections of, um, obviously, stage light lighting off-screen that's sort of illuminating across the water on the side of the ship and that as well when they go to climb up the side of it. But um, it's sort of it's implied there that everyone's able to get clear of the ship as well before it crashed, which, again, because they had more more time after seeing it to uh, get to some hiding places, but uh, heads start to pop up from those hiding places and everyone runs for the ship and starts to climb up on the deck. Uh, the guard pauses and says, oh my god, here, and Ludlow asks, What's, what is it and where's the crew? And uh, he replies all over the place where he, there's, um, as they move across the deck towards the Trenosaur cage, they can see blood all over the place and what might be body parts. So all of that happened on the deck here and not in the bridge which makes a little bit more sense um especially mm-hmm. if the trainer is roaming around but he might have got one or two people but i'm sure all you have to do is get inside you'd be you'd escape him <laughs> pretty easy yeah but it's also um described here we see the restraints torn and broken and the girdle used to lift the trainer off the ground on the island ripped to shreds which ripped to sheds sort of means more means more raptors to me than the Trenosaur, but... I don't know, I could imagine... It was the helicopter, right? Is it talking about? Um, it's, it's the girdle, like the lifting harness. Oh, girl. Yeah. girl. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking... I thought you said the helicopter. Oh, no, no. My bad. Um, but it's all torn. It's all torn, know. so you'd think if... If the Trenosaur escaped it, it'd probably bust out of it. Unless they had to chew on it a bit to get through the ropes, or through the straps, but... And it sort of that at least that at least that in the script sort of answered the question we had a couple of minutes ago about how the hell did they get the Rex up onto the platform and move it around when it was tranquilized. But mm-hmm. but yeah, as we sort of were talking about before, this is sort of all alluding to something other than the Trenosaur getting loose and eating people. And maybe again, that's where the fan fear of that those raptors on the boat come from, and somehow grew to a point where. Um, a lot of people think that's fact. <laughs> and then ask, what happened to the raptors that were on the boat? Yeah, I don't know if there's anything else we need to talk about on that. Um, no, not really. Yeah. Alright, Dave, anything else on 101 you want to talk about before we get heavy for the day? Yeah, I think we're good. Alright. Alright, guys. Let's get the hell out of here. Contact details are on the website, thelostworldminute.com. You can email feedback to thelostworldminute at gmail.com. Facebook, The Lost World Minute. Twitter, at The Lost World Minute. And Instagram, The Lost World Minute. Easy to remember. Yeah, yeah, very easy to All remember. Right. <laughs> uh, David, thank you for joining me for this recording. You're welcome. And uh, we'll be back. I've been Brad. I'm Dave. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Goodbye. Talk to you later. Bye. It is absolutely imperative that we work with the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to establish a set of rules for the preservation and isolation of that island. These creatures require our absence to survive, not our help. And if we could only step aside and trust in nature, life will find a way.